It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Tyrus. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Trey Gowdy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's Thanksgiving week and millions of us are expected to travel. But don't worry, the Department of Transportation says flying won't be like it was last Christmas, even with a new report highlighting staffing shortages and aging technology. So those are the two big things that are improving. One, the performance of the system. Two, protections for what to do when you encounter a problem. We speak with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. I'm Dave Anthony. Yet another poll has President Biden trailing former President Trump in a potential 2024 rematch amid questions about his age and low approval ratings. Um, You know, Biden, of course, has a lot of weaknesses, but, you know, a replacement could very well have weaknesses, too. So it's a tricky problem for Democrats. And I'm Raymond Arroyo. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Last year was rough at our nation's airports. While other airlines recovered from a blizzard over Christmas, Southwest technology resulted in scheduling issues and thousands of travelers ended up stranded. Fox News spoke with dozens of passengers last December. The only other time that I've seen it sort of like this was 9-11. As I was checking my bag, I got a text that my flight was delayed. It got delayed for one hour and then another hour and then another hour. And now it said like it got canceled. About 15 minutes later, I got another text that it was canceled. It's very costly to be sitting in an airport for five hours. A couple weeks after that Southwest incident, it was the government's own technology that failed. The notice to air mission system went out in January. The FAA said 10 days later that they were still working to fix things after contractors had caused the problem. The NOTAM system is what notifies pilots about flight conditions. Why has it taken 10 years and why is it still not done? That it does take a while. Uh, This is the system, the complexity of our NAS. The NOTAMS is just one of thousands of systems. Earlier this year at a Senate hearing, Ted Cruz was among those who questioned the now former acting FAA administrator Billy Nolan about the failure. This is and I heard that- you right. Your current plan is, is not to have it modernized until fiscal year 2025. So two to three years from now, what's to prevent another ground stop in the two to three years between now and then? Thank you. When I say we're moving to 2025, the work is ongoing. Just last week, an FAA-commissioned report by the National Airspace System Safety Review Team found consistent concerns with aging technology. The report blames funding mostly for the slow push to modernize, but close calls or dangerous incursions were noted as well, as were serious air traffic control staffing shortages. Earlier this year, former United CEO Oscar Munoz told Fox Business. The biggest issue that we have in America is broader infrastructure, but specifically in air travel, air traffic control systems. We have the most outdated and I would say obsolete system in almost the entire world. To avoid problems this holiday season, FAA's new administrator says the Pentagon is opening up military airspace above the Gulf to free up areas for commercial flights to use. But what else is different now so we can avoid a repeat of last year's chaos, no matter the weather? Well, two things have changed. One is the overall performance of the system. Pete Buttigieg is the Secretary of Transportation. If we look at some of the summer holidays this year, they brought some of the busiest air travel days ever recorded. 
and a pretty low rate of cancellations and delays, certainly compared to last year uh, when we saw uh, really unacceptable delay and cancellation rates from airlines that were not expecting the speed of the economic recovery that had so many people buying airline tickets in 2022. The other thing that has changed, and it's very important for passengers to know this, is that we have expanded passenger protections and passenger rights. Compared to a year and a half ago, there are dramatically more protections in terms of enforceable agreements. That means if the airline doesn't do the right thing, we can follow up and make sure they do. Around things like making sure they pay for your uh, hotel or ground transportation or meals if they're responsible for you getting stranded. Those protections are laid out online at flightrights.gov. So those are the two big things that are improving. One, the performance of the system. Two, protections for what to do when you encounter a problem. Of course, there's more work to do, and we're we're working on that every day here at the DOT. Well, to that point, in light of all the the close calls at our at our airports. I know the FAA put together this group, the National Airspace Safety System Review Team. Um, The report was out last week, 52 pages, right? It it highlights aging technology used by the FAA, but also this shortage of air traffic controllers um, really impacting not just big cities, but across the country. What are you guys doing about this? Were you anticipating this report? Have you been working on this regardless of this report? Yes, we commissioned this report because we thought it was important to have an outside independent look at all of the things that are necessary to keep aviation at its exceptionally safe level in the U.S. And as the safety review team pointed out, there are a number of things that have to happen and frankly, a number of things that have to change in order to maintain and build on that security and safety record. Uh, you, you mentioned in your question a couple important things. One is technology. You can't just sit still with the technology you've got. We've got to modernize technology and equipment. That does have a cost, but that cost is an investment in the safety of our passengers and the strength of a system that's also very important to our economy. Second is the human factor and the most important part of our whole system, uh, which is the people who make it go. That includes our air traffic controller workforce, and it's why we have stepped up hiring. Now, after getting this uh, review back, our newly confirmed FAA administrator, Mike Whitaker, immediately took a number of steps to help on those fronts. What do you say hiring? When you say you're working on hiring, what is that? Is that in effect now? Like, are we are we trying to hire more air traffic controllers right now? Because it sounds like there are a lot of industries that are saying they need workers and are having trouble finding them. Yes. So we hired another 1,500 workers in the last fiscal year. If Congress funds us to do so, we'll be planning to hire uh, at least another 1,800 in the coming year. And we're going to have to continue to accelerate past that. As you can imagine, this is not uh, the kind of job you can just walk in off the street and get a couple weeks training and, uh, and yeah. go do it. There We've all is, seen Pushington. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this is a very complex and intense training process where you have to train not just generally to be an air traffic controller, but specifically in the geography, the airspace that you're going to be working. Uh, But one of the other initiatives that uh, our new administrator, Mike Whitaker, is leading is expanding our capacity to do that training. We have a, a phenomenal facility in our air traffic control academy located in Oklahoma. Uh, We're also uh, building out 
partnerships with other institutions like colleges and universities that have a, a lot of uh, technical training that they do uh, to have that augment our ability to get people qualified to our very high standards. Last year, we had the Southwest Airline issue, right? And part of that was aging technology, but also, you know, scheduling issues, right? Like where flight attendants and where staff live, where they could get to. But then shortly after that, in January, we had, you know, the NOTAM system, which is obviously that that's government technology, right? That's the FAA. And that's the system that notifies pilots about their flights and their destinations, the conditions, right? And that, that system went out. I guess, what sort of changes then have you guys made in terms of that technology modernization that you talked about? Are we good? Like, is that, are we not going to have an issue like that anymore? Or was that human error? Well, this is a, a continuing issue because we have a number of systems that need to upgrade, uh, be upgraded. Uh, you're right. When, when an airline has an issue, uh, like a technology issue, we hold them accountable for fixing it. When uh, the FAA has a systems issue, we hold ourselves accountable for fixing it. The challenge we're having, of course, is getting the funding in place. Uh, it, look, it, it takes funding to uh, improve these systems. These are some of the most complex systems you can imagine, and they have to be operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, I would say, though, that those systems are worth it. Look, about 5% of our GDP depends on the aviation sector. And when we invest in uh, modernizing and overhauling the NOTAM system or any of the other technologies that we use to move air traffic and to keep people safe, that really is an investment in our economy and an investment in the most important thing of all, which is safety. You know, for years, we were not told about weather and technology and ATC issues when we flew over the holidays. We were talking more about security concerns, terrorist concerns. What's changed for the DOT since, gosh, October 7th that we've been hearing from the FBI director? The terrorist threat level has increased not just from lone actors, but from possibly terrorist organizations on our own soil. Has there been a new level of communication between DOT and Homeland Security in the past month? Well, it's important for everybody to know the extraordinary and excellent work that goes into the security side led by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, you know, the TSA was created as a result of 9-11. Uh, in fact, in, in many ways, so was the Department of Homeland Security itself. All of the things that America learned then and in the 20 plus years since have gone into making sure that our skies are safe. Anytime there is a specific threat, it will be addressed. Uh, I wanna be clear that while there are, of course, uh, a lot of things going on in the world that have added to concerns uh, about the, uh, the security picture, uh, there has not been any uh, specific threat that we have uh, uh, responded, that, that we've been uh, uh, called sure. to respond to based on what they're seeing. But if there is, anytime there is, there will be swift action to deal with it. I have to ask you before I let you go, because a lot of us are traveling, not by plane, but by car, and this administration is pushing us to drive EVs. And I know um, you were at that a congressional hearing, you testified a couple months ago, and one congressman from Minnesota, Mr. Stauber, um, really pressed you on this notion of what, what are his constituents to do in freezing temperature when your battery life is impacted in your car? And I know that an EV battery is also impacted by hotter temperatures as well. I'm wondering, what's the pitch to us to drive EVs when most of us live in places where temperatures do get hot and do get cold? Is the battery life going to hang? 
Yeah, look, I, I live in a very northern climate, too. I live in northern Michigan, and uh, we have uh, cold winters and, and warm summers. So if you got a, a, an EV with a battery life of, uh, let's say, 300 miles, and you have severe uh, impacts, which means its range goes down to maybe uh, 150 miles or 200 miles, and you drive more than 150 miles every day, uh, then an EV might not be for you. Uh, but for most people, for most trips, most Americans are finding that it tends to work for them. And what we're doing as an administration is not so much pushing people individually in terms of their choices, as we are uh, acting to make it more affordable uh, to have an EV and acting to make sure that there are chargers around the country. And the other thing that's very important is we need to make sure that America wins the race for EV dominance. During the Trump administration, uh, China was really able to get an advantage in uh, EVs, which are such a big part of the future of the automotive industry. I want to make sure that those vehicles of the future and that technology of the future is uh, made in America. But then do we have a setback then after the UAW strike? It sounds like the Biden administration and the president himself said, OK, side with the workers. And now we see Ford, Stellantis, GM all saying they're deferring or delaying investments in EVs and production, billions of dollars in, in delays. How big an impact is that? Well, they're adjusting their production, but there's no going back. And uh, I think that the workers were able to achieve something very important, which is basically to say, as these new technologies develop, we want to make sure that auto workers in the 21st century uh, do just as well or better as they did in the 20th century. That, that's personal for me. I come from the industrial Midwest. My hometown of South Bend was home to Local 5 and Local 9. I saw the great middle-class incomes that were made possible uh, by automotive jobs. But what I also saw that's on my mind in the EV debate is uh, I saw what happens when a company falls apart because it can't uh, innovate and keep up with the times. We can't let that happen again. We can't let America be left behind. We can't pretend that the old technologies will work in a new century with a new economy. Okay, I'll let you go, and but you have to answer this. <laughs> you, you told us about this website, flightright.com. You said mm. we could find out which, which airline um, would give us Flightrights. what. Flightrights.gov, yeah. Oh, flightrights.gov, okay, flightrights.gov. So if we can go there and find out which airline is gonna give us you know, hotels or reimbursements, what, what's mm -hmm. the best airline? Oh, uh, you know, uh, we don't root for individual companies as long as they are following the rules. But anytime they don't, we'll be there to back up your passengers. So I guess I'm rooting for the passenger here. Uh, but uh, you can find out for yourself where, uh, you know, we report, you decide. <laughs> All right. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, thanks for joining. Thanks a lot. Take care. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Raymond Arroyo with your Fox News commentary coming up. President Biden was the birthday boy at the White House yesterday. I just want you to know it's difficult turning 60. <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah. That was 21 birthdays ago, Mr. President. He joked about his age as he carried on a Thanksgiving week tradition, pardoning two turkeys. This is the 76th anniversary of this event. And I want you to know I wasn't there in the first one. I was too young to make it up. <laughs> but no other president has ever been 81 years old in the White House. 
And it is not a laughing matter to a lot of voters. Three in four in an AP survey in August said he is too old. And yet another poll over the weekend shows him trailing former President Trump, the Republican frontrunner by far, 46% to 44 in the NBC News survey. Eight of the last nine polls show Trump leads in a potential rematch. We had the most secure border in our history. Now we have the most unsecure border in the history, I believe, really, of the world. That was the former president in Texas on Sunday getting Governor Greg Abbott's endorsement as he keeps picking up momentum despite all his legal issues. The polls are all sort of saying the same thing, which is that Biden is pretty weak right now. His approval is pretty weak. Kyle Kondik is managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. One other thing that we saw in this poll that we've seen in a lot of others that I'm sort of skeptical about, but I mean, again, the, the numbers are all pretty similar, and that is that Biden is very weak amongst some core Democratic constituencies, specifically young voters. And a lot of these polls, including this one, have Trump either leading or tied with the youngest voters, which doesn't really accord with how the electorate typically has performed in recent years. You know, young voters are generally pretty, pretty Democratic leaning. And I find that sort of hard to believe that that would actually happen in the results come next November. Kyle, 18 to 34 in particular, within this NBC poll, former President Trump leading President Biden in that group. The president won in 2020 in that age group overwhelmingly. Is this yeah, is this the age issue here? Because 59 percent of voters in this poll say they have major concerns about the mental and physical health of President Biden. Yeah, I think the age factor is part of it. I also think that young voters in general, you know, that was a weak spot for, for Biden in the 2020 primaries as well. So there's just probably some, you know, generational thing going on. You know, it's possible that I think the younger generation, uh, you know, as they look at the kind of taking sides in, you know, is, is the Israeli versus Palestinian conflict, younger people are, you know, a little bit more open to siding with the Palestinians. And that might be part of this too. Although, of course, former President Trump is going to be pretty pro-Israeli too in that fight. So, Again, I think there's there's a lot going on here. I I just don't you know, I just don't see a gigantic swing toward Trump amongst young voters. Right, and we've seen in polls also black voters seemingly more interested in the Trump campaign this time around, Hispanics as well, former President Trump doing much better there. The Hispanic vote, do you think that's related to border policies? Oh, it's possible. Um, and we did see some, you know, that, that even though Trump lost in 2020, he did do better amongst uh, amongst non-white voters, generally speaking, in 2020 than he had done in 2016. You know, that is still in aggregate a Democratic leaning, but pretty strongly Democratic leaning constituency, particularly black voters. But again, I, I think that I think it's possible that the, the polls are maybe overstating to, the swing to Trump among some of these groups. But again, that that doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean it's somehow a great thing for Biden or something. I mean, it's certainly not. Yeah, and and I guess the concern beyond, I mean, this is a national poll. When you broke it down in other polls recently by battleground state, it wasn't good for President Biden. I mean, these are the key states that we expect the election to hinge on again. And the former president has leads sometimes double digits in some of these states, depending on the poll you look at. That's also a big concern, which is why you see these stories about Democrats worried. Yeah, you know, the, the, the tricky thing, though, is, though, that, you know, you do have an incumbent president running for re-election, and there's been really no indication that he is thinking about stepping aside. He does not really have 
a strong challenge within his own party. You know, Dean Phillips, the House member from Minnesota, recently jumped in, but you know, he's not like a grade A uh, challenger. Uh, you could make a, a compelling argument as to why Democrats maybe should look at some other candidates uh, more seriously than they are, but that's not really happening. That's not the world we're living in right now. You know, Biden, of course, has a lot of weaknesses, but you know, a replacement could very well have weaknesses too. So it's a tricky problem for Democrats. Well, the Washington Post over the weekend had this story. Everybody is wetting the bed inside of Biden world. And that's a quote from a fundraiser that they, they an unnamed one that they spoke to in the article. And in the, the quote is, it's really an unhappy confluence of Biden world donors, cocktail party friends saying, can't you get him not to run? which is stupid and absurd if you know Joe Biden. And and the story talks about how they wanted them to do more polling. He's got to have a better message on the economy. Bidenomics is, is not working. It's malpractice. How can they get the message to the White House to make changes? Well, look, I mean, it's ultimately up to the White House to determine, one, if Biden's running again, which, again, it seems full speed ahead on that front. And also, um, you know, what their messaging is going to be. It does seem like there's some indication this, you know, so-called Bidenomics term is, is sort of is not really working all that well because fundamentally, whatever the unemployment rate or GDP growth is or whatever, whatever, you know, positive job indicators you could point to, the public just isn't really feeling it. Um, he gets and, he gets killed in the economy polls, especially yeah, over inflation. He, he definitely does. Um, that's one thing that, that comes out loud and clear from these surveys, which is beyond just the horse race, where, where again, Biden is doing poorly as well. But, you know, I sometimes think like, oh, well, you know, like you look at the Democratic Party, say, oh, well, they should do something. They should stop Biden. Well, it's like, who's they and what power do they have? And they don't have the power to 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 prevent the president from running again. Um, now, you know, should the White House be thinking hard about how they're going to run this campaign and how well Biden is doing? Of course they should, because, again, the numbers are what they are right now. It seems the only one who could is President Biden himself. And we do have precedent in the past. I mean, you look back to... 1968, President Johnson decided against running for another term. His vice president, Hubert Humphrey, stepped forward, of course, lost the election to Richard Nixon. Is that possible again? Do you think that there is another Lyndon Johnson type moment in our future or no? Um, Look, it's possible. I mean, again, it, 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 this this Biden versus Trump matchup seems so set and yet, there are questions about both of them enough that you know you could anticipate one or both of them not being the nominee for one reason or the other. You know, it's it's a sort it's a sort of thing you have to keep in mind, but that based on what we know, you wouldn't really predict because there's just not any real evidence of that happening. But like, you know, what if we're in March and April and like the numbers look the same and Biden, you know, might be, you know, starts to think that he's on track to lose or something like that. You know, maybe he does decide to leave to leave the race or something. I mean, again, you, you, it's of course it's possible. It's just there's not there's not really any indication at this point that it would happen. All right, now of course we've talked a lot about the president's age. You know, Donald Trump, he's no spring chicken. He's seventy seven. Over the weekend, one of his rivals, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, he said the presidency is not a job for an eighty year old, and he continues to go and say that the the former president's not the guy he used to be in twenty fifteen and sixteen. And let me uh, play for you what DeSantis told CNN State of the Union on Sunday that that if Trump is the GOP nominee, 
The Democrats and the media will have a field day in the campaign. You're going to see uh, scorched earth. You're going to see all the stuff uh, uh, brought up from from the past. And the whole election will end up being uh, a referendum on Donald Trump. And Biden will be able to hang out in the basement. And I think he'll be able uh, to get away with it again. So he calls the former president a high-risk proposition. Obviously, DeSantis is running for the nomination against him. What do you think? I mean, Trump is a high risk proposition, just like Biden is. You know, I mean, you, you can easily point to problems for both of them. But again, it's also not obvious that the Republicans would be better off picking one of these other candidates because, um, you know, it's possible that there are pieces of the Trump coalition that a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley might not actually be able to activate. Um, so maybe they're, they're able to cut more into um some of Biden's core constituencies, but maybe they don't excite their own core constituencies enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, Trump obviously has a lot of baggage. And I think what the scenario that DeSantis laid out there is something you could imagine happening, that when you actually get to the campaign for the general election next year, all of a sudden, maybe Trump's problems become more prominent than Biden's. And that is helpful to Biden. I mean, I think part of the president's problem right now is that the focus is sort of more on him. Of course, there is a chance that the former president could be on trial as we hold the election. I mean, they want that for Georgia, potentially. I mean, this we have that wild card. We have a lot of these criminal cases hanging over the head of Donald Trump. Yeah. And again, that's, you know, it's obviously something ongoing, but I don't think it's, you know, at the forefront of the campaign right now. But it it, it will be when, you know, when and if that's happening and he's either the nominee or he's on track to be the nominee. So. Um, again, the, a lot of this stuff can be uh, can be fluid, even though I guess you'd think, well, hey, both Biden and Trump are pretty well known. So um, maybe the polls are predictive this far out. And if they are, then obviously Biden's in trouble. But I think it's I think it is probably gonna be a little more fluid than that. You know, it's interesting, too. It's not just Trump issues when it comes to legal problems. There was that October AP NORC poll. Thirty five percent believe that President Biden's done something illegal related to his son Hunter's business dealings. 33% more say he acted unethically. Only 3 in 10 say he did nothing wrong. That's not good for the president either. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to see if if the House Republicans uh, actually try to move forward on impeachment. Again, it doesn't necessarily seem like they have the goods, although, of course, if there are if there's a majority of the House willing to vote to impeach the president, they can just do that. Yeah. It doesn't really matter right. whether the case is strong or weak or whatever. They, they have the power to do that. Now, you know, at this point, you certainly would not expect the Senate to convict because you would need a significant number of Democratic senators to do that. And, and you know, I, I think at this point they'd probably lose Republican senators as opposed to Democratic senators if there was an impeachment trial in, in, in the Senate. Um, so, you know, but that is something to monitor. And of course, you know, with Trump's uh, legal problems, which are certainly more real and immediate than Biden's, whatever Biden's issues might be, given that he's been indicted several times, um, uh, you know, w Trump is going to be trying to muddy the waters. And, and I think that that's, the, you know, that's the argument he would make. And whatever you think of it, Trump is pretty good at mudd muddying the waters, I think, on a lot of things. Kyle Kondik, managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia's Center for Politics. Great to get your insight. Thanks so much. Thank you. Gianna Gelosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. Caitlin Armstrong was sentenced to 90 years in prison after a Texas jury found her guilty in the 2022 shooting death of a rising professional cyclist, Anna Wilson. 
The case drew international attention following a 43-day search for Armstrong. Days after being questioned by police, U.S. Marshals say she fled to Costa Rica with a new nose job and a new hairdo where she tried to establish herself as a yoga instructor. But the saga didn't end there. Weeks before the trial began, Armstrong ran from two corrections officers while leaving a medical appointment and made it about a block and a half before she was recaptured. Prosecutors say she gunned down Wilson in a jealous rage. The cyclist briefly dated Armstrong's boyfriend, Colin Strickland, several months earlier. Strickland is a fellow professional cyclist and had been swimming with Wilson hours before her death. The jury deliberated for about two hours before finding Armstrong guilty of first-degree murder. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Raymond Arroyo. What's on your mind? Each year, a pair of turkeys are brought to the White House for the president to pardon, to be spared from a deeply tanned appearance on the executive dining room table. What most don't know is that this national tradition was founded by the youngest member of the Lincoln family and helped shed light on the origins of Thanksgiving as a federal holiday. While researching my new picture book, The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln, I discovered that Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie, caught a fever and died in the White House. Grief overwhelmed the entire family, even as the Civil War dragged on. To cope with their shared grief and sustain each other through some of the country's darkest days, Abraham Lincoln and his youngest son, Tad, became inseparable. The president delighted in Tad's hijinks and mischief. Tad accompanied his father to major speeches, to review the troops, and in the evening, reclined next to the president's desk as Lincoln heard pardon requests, sometimes late into the night. Lincoln's personal losses made him sympathetic to those who ventured to the White House. Lincoln's cabinet hated the president to hear these personal pardon requests, as he granted 82% of the cases he heard. The year 1863, it was the year the president signed the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing the enslaved people, the year he offered the Gettysburg Address, the year he granted the South full pardons and return of property if they rejoined the Union. It was also the year that an important turkey arrived at the White House at Christmas time. Tad, who was still mourning the death of his older brother, befriended the bird and named him Jack. He taught the turkey tricks and walked him around the White House grounds on a leash. Tad had a playmate again. Then just before the holidays, the White House chef took Jack to the kitchen to prepare him for the Christmas feast. A shaken Tad scooped up his turkey and raced upstairs, barging into Lincoln's cabinet room. That executioner in the kitchen means to kill Jack. It's wicked. You can't let him, Tad cried. Moved by Tad's pleadings, Lincoln reached for his pen and granted Jack the turkey a full reprieve of execution and instituted the first White House turkey pardon. The same mercy and forgiveness that drove Lincoln to grant Tad his pardon also animated his efforts to unite the country. That same year, Lincoln established Thanksgiving on the national calendar. Before that time, 21 of the 29 states celebrated the holiday, but there was no agreed upon date. Lincoln 
fix that, proclaiming Thanksgiving as the last Thursday of November. But he did something more. He refashioned the day as a call for national unity predicated on forgiveness. Oddly, the tradition of presidential turkey pardons begins with Lincoln, but would take 100 years for another president to continue. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy was presented with a turkey wearing a sign reading, Good eating, Mr. President. Kennedy felt pity on the bird. Let's keep him going. It's our Thanksgiving present to him, Kennedy said. But the word pardon in reference to a turkey was not formally used in the modern era until 1987 when President Ronald Reagan received the annual holiday turkey at the White House. He was asked by a reporter if he intended to pardon aides involved in the Iran-Contra affair. Lincoln pointed at the 55-pound bird, joking, I'll pardon him. Ever since, every president since Reagan has formally pardoned a Thanksgiving turkey. Tad Lincoln's legacy goes on. So this year, when you see those Thanksgiving turkeys, think of Tad Lincoln and his paw, who believed that mercy and pardon heal all wounds, even those of the nation. I'm Raymond Arroyo. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.